Well, Doug, it's about the end of summer and school started. And uh, as I told you earlier today, my wife's cousin began school today at Elon, your alma mater. You get a little. Do you get a little? uh, Are you still young enough to get a little nostalgic this time of year? Yes, the the best time of the year. You go back. I I used to drive down to North Carolina uh, from Connecticut, and it's no better feeling. You start listening to you know your college music, and you start getting in that mindset of I'm going back. You got a week before classes start just to hang out and do nothing. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Well, then let's give them something to listen to. What do you say? Let's do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, my co-host, Doug Williams. Getting a little nostalgic for the uh, back-to-school, back-to-college days, as we mentioned in the intro. It's hard not to, you know. It's, uh, it's the best time of life. You, you think everyone in college thinks that they everything they're doing is so important, and classes are important, don't get me wrong, but um, it's great how especially freshman and sophomore year, how little anything matters. You're just oh, yeah. kind of flying through life blissfully unaware of the real world, and I miss that. The seniors may be a little more – I was a little more conscious of yeah, this is my too. last first day of school kind of thing. Well, senior year also, you're, you don't want to be out of school for six months without a job. I mean it happens yeah. to a ton of people, but you're trying your best to make sure that doesn't happen. So senior year, you have that in the back of your mind. It's like, well, I'm going to be out of here in a few months – I need to have something lined up. Freshman and sophomore year are some of the best times you can have in life. You're, it's like sleepaway camp that doesn't yeah. end for three months. Yeah. I remember like three days into college, I looked around. I was like, oh, so I'm not coming back. Like, I don't have to go this home This is now? real. Like, I, I can do whatever I want right now, can't I? And it was – you know, it, it, it does kind of show maturity at an early age. It's like how well can you handle that freedom? Right. You think that – freshmen in college are so young and it's so easy and like i've been saying you can kind of just fly through life but it really does show maturity if you can handle all that responsibility yeah and it's you know it doesn't matter what group of people you fall into whether you're an athlete you know one of those kind of the jocks so to speak or the nerds or the you know if you're there to in college to gain the freshman 15 thanks to milwaukee's best and fail out of school the first Two, three days of the year are like those days where it's like the summer vacation hasn't ended, but you're back together with all your friends and you have nothing to do. And you can, you know, if you're one of those kind of people, you can hold yourself up in your dorm room and play video games for three days. You can stay up all night and eat bad food and just party with your friends. You can do whatever the hell you want for two, three, four days after you move in. You get to see people you haven't seen in a couple months, maybe if you're, you know, a returning student and you live far away. It, it's it's probably the most fun week of the year for anyone between age eighteen yeah, and twenty one. We used to call it Camp Elon. Yeah, just that week before classes started because all you were doing was organizing activities yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I still say the best thing about college, you know, obviously there's great courses, there's you know the friends that you make, but I would say the best thing about college is the fact that you know you make friends in college for the rest of your life, but. In college, they're a phone call away whenever you want them. You know, you can hang out with eight friends when mm-hmm. it's a two because it's a Tuesday night. You know, yep. And you don't have that for the rest of your life. You can make great friends in life, but you can't live with all of them if you're in you know a big dorm or a fraternity house. You live with yep. everybody. And how great is that? You can't randomly have a spontaneous game of 
insert sport here at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday. Or hey, Halo, around. if you're yeah. into that, too. Or Halo or GoldenEye. We played the hell out of GoldenEye on N64. Yeah, different generation than me. When we were in college. Playing that on a beanbag at age 6. Yeah. We uh, we, we played GoldenEye till the sun came up some nights. Uh, yeah. You, you just it, – it prepares you for the real world, but it shows you that the real world is n- going to be nothing like this. You need to, like, cherish those moments and – Realize how awesome it is that you can just hang out with 13 friends and, and shoot the breeze and do whatever you want on a – like you said, on a Thursday night because I ain't got nothing to do tomorrow. Class don't start till Monday. Yep. That feeling of not having anything to do too. Yeah. And, you know, Can't beat that. Same thing with – you know, we, like you said, living in the fraternity house. You got all your brothers are there you know, kind of thing. You just kind of hang out and get reacclimated into, into that life. When I was in school, you know, the city of Philadelphia, there's so much stuff to do there that on a summer night we'd go to Phillies games every once in a while, you know, during the year. But you could go two, three days in a row if you wanted to because 1 o'clock on a Thursday game, that's eh, fine. I ain't got no class as today. A, as a non-Philadelphian in Philly and, and for college, did you feel like you were like a sponge when you when you got to one of their arenas? Did you feel the trashiness? <laughs> did it go into your skin and seep through your pores and did that is that who you became or did you kind of uh i don't know stick true to yourself and and not scream at players about their mothers and uh throw things at at the team buses and things like that no i i was not one of those that subscribed to the uh let's follow the ambulance michael irvin's in and throw snowballs at it crowd uh being an eagles fan was a little different and the Phil- <laughs> the phillies and the yankees didn't play each other, period, until interleague play started and only play each other once every few years. So the the whole atmosphere of being around the Phillies and things like that is a little different. It's a, National League Baseball is a lot different anyway, but it's you know it's not like I went to school in Boston and I'd have to bring myself to go to Fenway Park more than once a year, you know what I mean, as a fan. It, it's it's a little different. The, the, the Flyers and the Sixers, nobody cares about them anyway, so... It is what it is, but yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed that part of, you know, the social scene, so to speak, as well as the fact that there's 45 venues, just like in New York City, where you go to the Beacon or Webster Hall or Terminal Five or one of these places. There's so many of those in Philly to see so much, you know, live entertainment and music that you can do that on any given night, whatever. It's it was really a blast. I kind of miss it. I'm I think 13 years out now. I feel really old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I no, man. You're not old. <laughs> Cheer up, dude. You, just, you're you're young, man. You're I'm young. saying you were probably in like fifth grade when I graduated college. So that's 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 how old I am. But uh, what do we got today, Lou? Let's get out of nostalgia mode and let's get into the now. Uh, this is the best time of year for hardcore baseball fans too. That's called a segue in the industry. S e g u e segue. We're down to 32 games left as we tape this for the Yankees. We've got four weeks and change of the season to go, no matter who you are. And it's crunch time. I mean, there's so many teams bunched up for the wild card spots that even if you're, even if your team is out of it, even if you're a, you know, a Padres fan or a Mets fan or a Rangers fan and your team's out of it, this is the time of year where your team can still play spoiler and there's so much good baseball elsewhere throughout the league. I know the NFL starts in two weeks and everybody's going to be excited about that. But for baseball, September is where it's at. And, and we're here as of the end of the week. The Yankees are right there on the cusp. I know this has been a recurring theme for the last two years, but they're breaking your heart. And then they're winning five in a row. And then here the, here we are. I know they're coming off a loss in Detroit last night where Jacoby Ellsbury was the only one who seemed to have any idea what Rick Porcello was doing. 
But here we are, four and a half weeks out, and the Yankees are right in the thick of the race despite all of their seeming shortcomings. Before the game one loss against Detroit, I thought that the Yankees uh, fans uh, should have probably thought they were in the best place they'd been in a long time. Absolutely. Just because, um, you know, if you think about how many acquisitions the Yankees have made, it's really unbelievable. you know, they happened kind of sporadically. Like, it was a sequence. It, it didn't all happen at once. Like, it wasn't like on the trade deadline they acquired nine guys. Right. You had McCarthy. You had Capuano. And then you had Headley. And Prado it happened on the deadline itself. So did Stephen Drew. And it seems like these guys are finally really making their mark, especially Prado. Oh, uh, yeah. You can tell the difference. And um, both Jack Curry and Michael Kay have talked about this a lot on the broadcasts about how he he I guess they had a you know a hitters meeting a team meeting and Prado said guys you're not going to be able to change your stats your baseball card stats aren't going to be where you want them to be at the end of the year you really can't make a huge down on that there's only five weeks left on the year what you can do is do something special as a team don't pay attention to the fact that oh my gosh if I don't reach twenty homers. That's going to be really bad for my reputation. Don't think about that. Think about the fact that you made it to the playoffs. If you win a World Series, everybody's going to forget how bad of a year Carlos Beltran's had. If you win a World Series, everyone's going to forget about the fact that Brian McCann's been switching back and forth from a toe tap and no toe tap and has struggled to hit 250. Yep. So I think these guys, and Chase Headley's brought a ton of energy too. It seems like the acquisitions are finally getting acclimated and really starting to make a difference. And Prado, I mean, he's been... He's been in Fuego <laughs> the last yeah, week and a half. Um, you know, I agree with you in that something that you said about Prado there. Carlos Beltran's not going to hit 290 this season. But if Carlos Beltran can hit 290 for the last 32 games, that'd be huge. Right. Mark Teixeira is not going to hit 40 home runs this season. But if he can hit a home run every four games down the stretch and add eight or nine to his total, that'll be huge. If insert player X doesn't do stat Y but does that for the next 32 games. That's all that matters. Yeah, realistically, one of these guys is going to have to hit 800 down the stretch to get up to their baseball card. But if they can live up to their baseball card in theory over the next four and a half weeks, that's going to be much bigger than trying to do too much. That's the don't try to do too much mentality you hear so much about. Do what you're capable of. You're capable of hitting 40 home runs a year because you're capable of hitting a home run once every 12 to 15 at-bats. Do that. You're not going to hit one every at-bat to get to 40 over the next two weeks. But you can hit one every 12 at-bats to get up to 27 and go from there. Yeah, and Carlos Beltran actually is an interesting case because he's going to need to start hitting to get playing time. Mm -hmm. Um, He played right field last night, but that was only because Brett Gardner was out for a second straight game with an ankle uh, injury. And Ichiro Suzuki's hitting really well of late. Yep. Because um, he's back to that, that high two eighties area. He's back to that semi bench role right. that he was at at the beginning That's of the what year. He thrives at. Yep. He's Carlos Beltran's going to need to start hitting to get playing time. I mean, mm-hmm. at a certain point, you you ditch the idea of potential or what this guy's done in the past. In a pennant race, you got to go with who's working. And if he's not working, he's going to be riding the pine. Yep. And, you know, you look back at the middle of the year when seemingly nobody was hitting and Soriano was designated for assignment because finally they just needed the roster spot. And you can make a case for those guys to stay in there. Now, Chase Headley is hitting pretty well since being acquired. Martin Prado is on fire as of late. Steven Drew's had a couple of big hits even. You know, Jeter's doing his thing. Ellsbury and Gardner have been consistently pretty good all year. You've got a much deeper lineup with six, seven guys who are getting the job done as opposed to three. 
if you're one of the guys that's not getting the job done, but somebody else on the bench has a chance to do it, ego be damned, you know, contract be damned. If Ichiro Suzuki can give you a better chance to win than Carlos Beltran, he's got to play and Carlos has to sit. That's the situation you're in. This isn't a team that's 30 games over 500 cruising to a division title where they can let him get his kinks worked out in the lineup. This is a team that needs to go with the hot hand. Plain and simple. I'm just going to give a quick round of applause. You know what that's for? No. That was for the Yankees starting rotation. Which and well-deserved then. Unbelievable. Yes. I mean, unbelievable. Look at the – if you look at the three guys starting the Detroit series, I know that McCarthy probably had his worst game as a Yankee last night. Easily. But he was not terrible. Shane Green, game two, has been great. Hiroki Kuroda has been really, really consistent. He started in the third game. I mean, everybody is doing their job and then some. Michael Pineda looks like the pitcher that they wanted, finally. Yep. yep. And uh, his stuff – looks much better than it did at the beginning of the year. He's throwing 95 with ease. Every single fastball has cut or tail. There's so much movement. I tweeted this out the other night. At, at, at the very least, Michael Pineda is a strike thrower. Yeah. People don't know that or, or realize that about the guy. He doesn't walk guys. He just happens to have nasty stuff and throws strikes. And Chris Capuano, you can't say enough about the guy. Minor league... Minor leagues with the Rockies, like we talked about last week, he's come in and done a really nice job. So you can say all you want about uh, the lineup or the meeting, but the the horse head, but the <laughs> starting rotation has been what's kept this team alive. They have, and you look at the stats, and Kuroda's the only one who's going to come close to 200 innings. He's got six starts left, and he's 40 away. So you got to figure... Given his swoon last year, you know if if they're winning fourteen to one somehow in the sixth inning, Kuroda's not going to go out there for the seventh kind of thing. He's got a shot at it, but the rest of them, these guys that are that are fill-ins, for lack of a better word. I mean, you go back to nine years ago in two thousand five, it was Aaron Small going ten and zero, and Sean Chacon, and these guys like in the mid two thousands that just came in, and you look at them when they're acquired, you go really, and then they come in and go ten and zero. That's what McCarthy and Capuano and even Green are – that's what these guys are doing. And one of our Twitter followers actually mentioned the same thing you did about Pineda during his last start. We were doing extra innings the post game, So, you know, looking for, for Twitter and Facebook feedback. And somebody actually said that, might have been on Facebook, that he throws strikes. And that's really the important thing. He's not going to blow a lot of guys away these days, whether that's shoulder-related, pine tar-related or whatever. But he throws strikes, and if you pitch to contact, sometimes good things happen. Yeah. It's unbelievable. With, with McCarthy, um, his velocity is increasing. We don't see that in baseball. Nope. People, people start to get elbow and shoulder soreness, and then they have a major surgery, and they never reach the velocity they once had. McCarthy was throwing like 92 with Arizona. He's reaching 95. Adrenaline. Adrenaline's a powerful thing, It's man. an unbelievable thing. What a pennant race, what the pinstripes can do, and... It's like you can't argue that. He's throwing harder than he was with Arizona. That's black and white. It's fact. Cause and effect. But you can't argue if someone, you know, hits really well with the Yankees, you can say, oh, he's just on a hot streak. It has nothing to do with the pinstripes. This has something to do with the fact that he's playing on the Yankees in a pennant race with a team that is letting him throw a cutter and is giving him whatever he needs. 
The and same thing that revitalized perhaps Ichiro in 2012 and revitalized Soriano last year and revitalized Martin Prado this year. Mm-hmm. There's something to playing meaningful baseball that snaps you out of – I don't want to call it laziness, so I'll just call it a funk. You know, you're in Arizona. You know you're not going anywhere. You have games where you're not so great. And as prideful as these guys are, and we'll never say, well, whatever, there's games where you're just like, well, I was 0 for 4. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? It, it In the long run, it didn't hurt nor help. Right. Whereas if you go 0 for 4 in a game like yesterday, that's huge. You don't want to do that. You want to do your part. Yeah. So there's something you said for it. And McCarthy has gone from a guy who had awful numbers and looked like, is this guy just a stopgap to eat innings for the rest of the year to, man, I hope Brandon McCarthy gets re-signed and he's part of the rotation next year because you never know what you're going to get out of CeCe Sabathia. And Yvonne Nova is going to miss a little bit of time you know, because of the Tommy John surgery. And how's Tanaka going to be? And Pineda's workload concerns and X and Y and Z. This looks like a guy who you know, could very well be more than a stopgap in next year's rotation too. It's more effective towards this time of the year to get a big-time hitter back because he plays every day. Mm -hmm. Um, As great as it will be to have Tanaka back for the Yankees, especially if they make it into the playoffs, he can only pitch every fifth day, you know, and and the Yankees are less than five weeks away from the end of the season. Um, I think the key to the Yankees' season is simple, and it's not only just because – they're trailing the Orioles and the AL East, but they have eight games left against the O's. Yep. And those eight games are going to be the key because mm-hmm. if the Orioles play like a first-place team and win six of them, then the Yankees will be done. Yep. Not only done with the, the, the division race, but the wild card as well. You just can't lose that many games. If the Yankees play well, win six out of eight, they may not catch the Orioles, but it won't be a blip on their radar. They'll just keep getting hot. But that's probably one of the best teams they'll play before the end of the year. And also, the Yankees just have to beat the teams that that uh, are not as good as they are. Mm-hmm. they got to win the games in Boston at the end of the year. I mean, that obviously will be important. We'll see if they matter. But games like that, don't play down to the level of another team. And they've played well on the road this year. Um, basically, this is my long-winded explanation of saying they're still in it, but there are still some things that they're going to need to, you know, I don't know how to say it, bypass to even make this a chance. Yep. And I was going to ask you, what do you think What do you think their chances are of the wild card percentage, and what do you think their chances are of the division percentage? 20 of their final 32 games starting today, 21 of their final 33, 22 of their final 34 if you want to go back to Monday, uh, against teams that are either ahead of them in the division or the wild card race. Detroit, Kansas City, Toronto, Baltimore. 20 games against those four teams. 15 and 5 goes a lot longer than 10 and 10 goes a lot longer than 5 and 15. They're 1 and 1 so far. Beat Kansas City, lost to Detroit. 14 more to go. That that's what I think their chances are. Like you said, they have so many games left against Baltimore, who's huge because there's three teams fighting for the division as opposed to eight fighting for the wild card if you want to count Kansas City and Baltimore depending on how things shake out there and you know, the three teams in the West that are jockeying back and forth, the A's and Angels jockeying back and forth, and the Mariners are in there, Toronto's in there. Is Toronto in it, really? They're right there with the Yankees, or maybe, a, what, a game behind? So I they're, they're, Toronto they're, was like a game over 500. They're, yeah, 64 and 64. So they're somewhere right in that range. Um, 
they're still in it. I'm using air quotes. You can't see it, but they're they're still in it. Same with the Indians. Yeah, they're, they're one of those teams though that they have if they have six games left against Toronto and they go three and three, that's not acceptable. It really wasn't acceptable for them to go two and four against the Astros on the season because whether it was as I said last week, April or August, that's a team you need to beat. You know, that's a team that's not as good as you on paper or in theory or in the standings even. That's a team you need to beat. They can't do that against the Torontos and the, you know, Houstons of the world. The the Orioles aren't trending really in the right direction right now. No. And um, Machado being out, out that's big. Chris Davis uh, all year has been the kind of thing that you, you applaud the O's for being where they are without him. Mm-hmm. But once they need to win every game because they're in the playoffs, that's going to be a problem. They're going to need him, yeah. They need him. And uh, every time the Yankees play the Orioles, I just am reminded about how dominant that offense is. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone can hit. But they don't have Matt Wieters. They don't have Manny Machado. If you can hit against their pretty weak pitching, although everyone's consistent, um, they're beatable. The more, I, the more you can avoid Tillman, the better. <laughs> yeah. Really. Really. And I would say percentage at the division is like 5%, 10%. Uh, I, I don't think it's a good chance the Yankees win the division just because there's so many games out with so little time left. I'll, I'll give them. I'll give them a little higher on that. I'll give them maybe twenty five for this reason. Okay. You did mention they have eight games left against the Orioles. You go eight and zero in those games. You pick up eight games. Seven and one. You still pick up six. I mean, as as you go down the line. Right. Without Machado, without Weeders, with a weak pitching staff, with Chris Davis not hitting, with all those things. Yes, Baltimore's in first place. But as you said, they're trending in the wrong direction. So if the Yankees even say they go 500 in the other 24 games, if Baltimore only goes 15 and nine somewhere around there because they're they're scuffling, the the Yankees don't lose too much ground and can still maybe overcome that deficit. You know you don't want to enter those eight games and be like, well, if we win all eight, we'll overcome the eight game deficit in the division because that unless you're the Rays chasing the wild card never works. But if you were five games back and you have eight games left against the Orioles, you know that if you win six of those games, you've cut that deficit completely. Just and now no, it's up yeah. to match up. Just knowing that you can lose and it's not over right. helps. Exactly. Um, and knowing that if you do very well, you can seriously cut into that deficit, if not erase it completely. Right. I don't know. I mean, look, the Yankees are in a good spot. They're not in a great spot because a good a great spot would mean that they're in the lead for the wild card or the division. Right. But – I think because of some of the guys that they have now. I mean, their their defense significantly improved mm-hmm. with Chase Headley and Stephen Drew. Absolutely, um, and Prado. Yeah, he's been really consistent mm-hmm. as well. Team is, I would say, they, they're going in the right direction. They just, it's a little bit like last year. They were terrible in September last year. Mm-hmm. They've made it interesting. You applaud them for that, but now you realize. This is what's supposed to happen. Yankees mm-hmm. were supposed to make the playoffs. They spent yeah. $500 million to make the playoffs. Not They had the same exact record last night that they had a year ago. Yep. You need to be better. And they're 68-62 and 62 after last night. Um, they need to go roughly 500 to be in the same spot they were last year. 85-77. and 87-75. and 75, Somewhere in that range is, is, you know, what you might think of, but... 
They need to do better than that. This is a team, I'm going to throw out my stats because that's what I do. It's a team that has a, a run differential of minus 30 and is on pace to score less runs this year than they did last year. And they're in the same spot. And that's with an offense that has their RBI leader on pace for 75, their home run leader on pace for 27. There's eight guys in the majors that have already hit both plateaus. <laughs> that's pretty good. And, and to share it, that's where to share an Ellsbury on pace. Think about it. There's eight guys in the majors that already have 27 or more homers and 75-plus RBIs. And the Yankees' leaders, who are separate players, are on pace to hit that plateau. And they're still right here, thanks in large part to that pitching, thanks in large part to 42 of their 68 wins this season have come by two runs or less. They win a lot of close games. They do just enough. Just enough (laughs) <laughs> to quote that WB Mason commercial, just enough is never, never, never enough. <laughs> but I can't believe I can't believe you just quoted a WB. Just Mason as good as never, ever, ever. Just as good. Can we get um, a sponsorship? Seriously, if I raise my voice, if you're listening, we want a sponsorship. I have the truck. I have the truck you guys gave out at Yankee Stadium on my desk. No, uh, but to quote that, just enough has been enough right now. But they need to do more for it to be enough. Right, and that's credit to their bullpen with the close games, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it's credit to everybody, but uh, their bullpen keeps the games close and keeps the Yankees in the lead. Um, Walking on a thin line for five months now. Yeah. I, <laughs> again, the run differential, the guys with no home runs, no RBIs, that's what Martin Prado meant. Because yep. I think anybody, any hitter in that lineup is looking at this the, the lineup of hitters every night and wondering, how does nobody have... 25 home runs at this point. Yeah. How does nobody's going to hit 80 RBIs on this team, really? But the key is, it doesn't matter. Take some pressure yeah. off yourself and accept the fact that your numbers aren't going to be where you want them to be. But you, there's a way for people to forget about that, and it's winning. Yeah. Even if you combine Prado's numbers in Arizona and Headley's numbers in San Diego and Drew's numbers in Boston, which are obviously down because he didn't start playing until June. But none of those guys even combined are going to hit those plateaus, but they can do the best they can to get as close as they can and live up to their, let's let's call it their per-game ratio. Not necessarily their per-season ratio because they're not going to get there. But, again, 40 home runs is a home run every four games roughly. So if you're a 40 home run hitter in the past and you can hit a home run every four games, do it because that will give you eight more for the rest of the year. Eight home runs is a lot for a team that's scuffling for offense, especially over a 32-game span. By the way – I understand that every episode I seem to have a different take on Joe Girardi, and I'm 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 sure that that's frustrating. But um, the Yankees beat back-to-back aces, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they faced Shields, and they faced Chris Sale, and they won both of those games. Um, the biggest hit against Chris Sale was Ichiro, and he was the only lefty in the lineup. The biggest hit against Chris Sale wasn't even a hit, it was to be error. fair. Right. It, it was started, Diane Viciato it started dropped a, ball. Yeah, but Ichiro had a clutch hit. In that it was game. huge. Girardi stacked the righties and went with Ichiro, and, mm-hmm. and that is a, a move that worked. They beat him. And mm-hmm. James Shields, he sat to Shara because he looked at the numbers and decided not to go with him. And remember, Joe Girardi hears the criticism on all of these moves. He mm-hmm. has to answer the questions. If he starts to share that day, nobody in the media would say, hey, why is Mark Teixeira in the lineup? He doesn't start to share. He gets six questions about why Teixeira is not in the lineup. These are hard decisions to make, and they, they paid off. And sometimes 
managers get a lot of the credit for bad things happening and not good things. Well, I think a lot of the credit goes to Joe Girardi for, for beating Sale and beating Shields. Yeah, and I mean, he had a, a built-in excuse with Teixeira, too, because I, I hate to use the word excuse, but, you know, he got hit by the pitch. His, his leg was sore. Gives him a day off against a guy, you know, if Teixeira was 14 for 28 against Shields' lifetime, then it would have been like, well, oh, Texas hurt again. But when he's got those poor numbers, it's like, well, you know what? He's banged up. He doesn't hit this guy well. Good chance to give him a day off. It was a fortuitous moment in the numbers game for Girardi on that one. You know, Gardner's been their most consistent hitter all year, whether he's hitting first, second, whatever. He's had a bad ankle the last couple days. They've won two of the three games he hasn't played. You know, that's just the way things work out. Like I said, they've done just enough to get to where they are, but they need to do more than just enough for it to be enough in the next five weeks. Yankees face Price in game two. They face Price, and then I believe Verlander on Thursday. They push Verlander back, which I guess is good for the Yankees. So he's not facing the Yankees anymore. I can't remember the name of the guy they're facing in the third game. But Price in game two, you've beaten them before. The Yankees seem to always pick up their game against Aces. Yep. It's always been the case because the Yankees are filled filled with veterans always, it seems like. And those guys get up for the big-time pitchers. And you know who's really salivating about that? I'm sure it's Derek Jeter because he loves, loves hitting off David Price. Price. Hey, if you can hit his fastball, all you have to, all, all you really have to worry about is his fastball and his slider. I mean, his fastball is one of the best in baseball. But if you can hit the fastball, you must be looking at guys who that's, are like over 12 yeah, and that, be like, I can hit the fastball. That's like, all, that's like saying all you have to worry about against Mike Tyson is his right hook and his uppercut. Right, yeah. <laughs> You know. But Jeter can. I don't know yeah. what – I mean, he hit the slider out for his 3,000th hit, but generally he does stand in the box pretty well against Price. You know, Enrique Wilson owned Pedro Martinez. Strange, you can't predict baseball. Strange things happen. So yeah. we'll see what they do. You know, this is a huge series for them. I know the Tigers are currently in the wild card hunt because they somehow have lost that division lead. You know, you can't lose two out of three to a team that you're battling for a spot doesn't matter what spot it is because no matter what everyone else does, that pushes you back if you do that. No matter what the standings up and down the wildcard standings are like, it puts you behind, further behind them. And I think if you're the Yankees, you realize that you love when your competitors are playing each other. So every oh, yeah. other team besides the Tigers and the Yankees are ha- is happy yeah. that they're playing each other because they'll beat each other up. And September, when the AL West has to beat up on each other, that's going to give the A's, Angels, and Mariners a good chance to kind of somebody to, to grab a stranglehold. I mean, if the Mariners get clobbered by those two teams, that's good for everyone else. If the Mariners clobber those other two teams, not so good because whichever team is leading the division and whichever team is the wild card at the moment are quite a ways up on, I believe right now it's the Angels and the A's are, you know, Angels lead A's wild card. They're quite a ways up on that next spot. So if the Mariners beat up on them, good for the Mariners. If the Mariners get beat up on, good for everyone else. Mm-hmm. It, it's... It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a fun. Gonna be a fun final four plus weeks. Yeah, it will be. And <clears> and this is a better Yankee team than last year. I'm sorry, it is. Yeah, it, it it has to be. It. You know what? It. I feel okay saying that, even though they're basically exactly where they were last year. I what I mean is they're going to be a better team in September. Mm-hmm. They're going to give us a little bit more excitement because I think their lineup being healthy compared to last year's lineup will help. You know what, though? It's a very strange cross-section in that last year it was the starting rotation. Exactly. Holding things together like they were the strength of the team. The position players were all banged up and hurt and this and that, and they kept it together for, you know, up above 500 record. 
this year it's the rotation that's being held together with bubblegum, and they're the ones keeping this incredibly expensive offense together. It, it's it's different year, completely opposite production. Yeah, same result. And you know, yeah, you know, you know, it's weird. Like you just said, same result. I would same say. Result. The pitching staff is somehow just as good as last year, and they have none of the same guys. Which makes you think, as a Yankee fan, Besides like, Grota. damn, if the offense was producing, this is a 100-win team. Like, that's the way you have to think if you're a Yankee fan right now. If the offense was even close to what it's supposed to be, this team would have 85 wins right now. Yep. And in, they'd be in making August. Yankeeographies about <laughs> Brandon McCarthy because— Yankeeography, Vanel Nuno. People would realize that they're the ones who are the heroes. And I think— because people are so mad at the offense, people are forgetting how good the pitching mm-hmm. is every night. So let's remember that if the Yankees do get into the playoffs, I don't think Brandon McCarthy should ever, ever have to buy a beer in New York again. I don't think that the fact that Michael Pineda has somehow come back this year and really helped this team. I wrote the article two weeks ago about how this, there's some land of acres of opportunity in front of him. Mm-hmm. He could take it. I mean, these guys are performing under pressure every night. Time to give them some credit. I wrote an article six months ago about how Dellen Batanzas has a shot to mirror Mariano Rivera, and look what he's doing in the bullpen. Now we're just dropping our articles, dude. 113 strikeouts in 76 innings? It's ridiculous. Enough about our damn articles. You know who I don't want pitching for the team is whoever threw out the first pitch in Houston last night. Did you see this? No. Uh, she basically threw the ball directly into the ground fr- from the mound. I have to say I've done that before. Um in high school, I was pitching a little ground ball, like in between first and third, and I had a chance at getting the guy at second. But in my head, I thought that was a bad idea as I was throwing it. Happens in baseball a lot. Try to, to outfielders try to switch your motion right. in mid stride and throw the ball in the ground. No, you try. What happens is you're in a full motion. Your arm is already throwing the ball, and then you think, "Hmm, I'm going to hold on to the ball," and it just comes flying out. It's a botched pump fake. It's like you're spiking a football, except yep. you're just. My question is that happens in the heat of a game, yes, but when you're throwing at a first pitch that you know it means nothing let's be honest it's a ceremony wouldn't you practice this like it maybe i I hope this isn't going to sound sexist because it happened to be a woman who threw out this pitch. I know not everyone is athletically gifted in any regard. Okay, I know how to throw a baseball. I know you know how to throw a baseball. We both played baseball. I've seen people who aren't athletes, you know. 70-year-old presidents and, and people throw out first. Is it really that hard that you threw the ball right that, into the ground? To me, that to me is not the question because I'm sure it's hard for some people. But if it's if you can't do it, then don't throw out the first pitch. Don't do it. Yeah. 50 Cent, don't throw it out. I know maybe you were trying to promote an album, which shows where we are in society. But let me just say this. If you can't throw a baseball, save yourself unless – for some reason, you need the attention. Same goes for the national anthem, I suppose. If you know, everyone remembers Roseanne right. Barr singing the national it's anthem. It's a little but... different for the national anthem because I think people who can't sing still love singing, so that's okay. But if you can't throw a baseball, you probably yeah. don't love throwing baseballs because you don't do it, right? Right. And it's funny, you know, we have. I think it's still on the uh, homepage of the site. Last week, uh, Katie Nolan from Fox threw out a first pitch at a Thunder game. And, you know, they made a whole bit about it with her asking, you know, Jaron Long and, and Tyson Blazer, the catcher, and even Derby, you know, for advice on the first pitch and all that. And she laughed and said, you know what, if I fail from the mound, it's still better than succeeding from whatever. Like, if you're going to do this, do it the way the, the big leaguers do it. 
And she threw a first pitch, and it wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't a 93-mile-an-hour fastball for a strike, but it was perfectly cromulent, as it the Simpsons would say. It was good. But, again, if you, if you can't do it, if, you, if you've never done it, like, I, I went curling a couple weeks ago, and I forget if I talked about this last week on the podcast, but my wife got me a curling, like, learn to curl thing for my birthday. And so me and a bunch of my friends went, and it's ridiculously hard. After a couple hours of practice, we got to the point where we were adequate at it, but I'm not going to go out and join a curling league and, and get myself crazy pants and try to qualify for the Olympics because I'm not good at it. But if the World Curling League came to me and said, hey, you want to throw out the ceremonial first rock? I would say no because I don't know how to do it. I'm going to make myself look like an idiot. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. That. It's that uh, self-awareness. Is something that I don't think enough people have of have mm-hmm. in in this world, but Katie Nolan did fine throwing the pitch and it goes into the dirt and it goes a little left or the right. You don't you don't throw a strike. That's that's different. That's not what we're talking yeah. about. If you can't throw a baseball more than ten feet because the mound is yeah. sixty feet and six inches away, if you can't throw a baseball ten feet, just sit it out. You you can do yeah. anything else with your time, but. I would avoid it. I mean, unless you're, you know, a, a little kid who obviously, you know, they can't throw a ball sixty feet six inches, you right. know, kind of thing. That's a little different. But when you're, I mean, a grown- I'm not a monster, Lou. I no. mean, if a kid wants to throw the first pitch, let him do it. Yeah, I'm just it's saying, fun. If it's a conscious choice about your career, I, I just don't think it's a good PR move. Don't do it. Yeah, just just don't do it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just jealous because I've never been asked to throw out a first pitch. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe it's sour grapes. And maybe if I were. I would make myself look like an idiot because, I mean, I know I could throw a baseball 60 feet 6 inches, but when you're standing there, it's a lot different. But in the, in the negative society we live in today, stuff like last night is going to be magnified yeah. more than someone Here's an throwing a 60-mile-an-hour curveball in there. Here's an interesting question. So I'm, what, four years out from high school where I was you know, a pitcher and I decided not to go the college route. Um. But I still throw on weekends to my dad a lot. So if I, if you give me a week of training and a week of my regular throwing program, I could still probably get it up, you know, low 80s, high 70s area, which is where I was in high school. I, again, nothing professional level at all. But do you want to be that guy that gets on the mound and does like a full wind up and throws the ball as hard as he possibly can? And there are a bunch of people like, whoa, yeah, you threw that hard. Or do you avoid, or do you avoid looking like a hardo, and you just kind of toss it up, get a strike? It's like forty miles an hour. Yeah, it was fun. Like I can throw a baseball, but you don't want to show anybody up, right? What do you do? You throw, you throw your best fastball, or do you just show I can throw a baseball, but I'm not going to give you my best. Is, is the opposite of a hardo a softo? Because <laughs> if so, then I want to be a softy. Soft, I want to be a softy. I mean, Mariano Rivera's throwing out first pitches, and he's not throwing a 91-mile-an-hour cut-up there. Right, it's a ceremony. So You see how that's different, though, right? Right. But what I'm saying is in that, in that vein, he's just going up there. He's throwing the pitch. It's a good time. It's a ceremony. I'm going to – you know, I might make a – not a full wind-up, but I'm going to stride. I'm not going to just, like, you know, strong-arm it out there like I'm shot-putting. But I would, you know, just kind of throw like I would playing catch before a softball game because that's kind of what the expectation is, I guess. And I know that, you know, I can throw a ball. Like I said, I can throw a ball 60 feet. So I'm just going to do it that way. That's how I would do it. I think that's right. I don't know if you could tell by my the way I posed the question that I feel a certain way too. I, I agree with you. 
I also think an important part of the answer is that the catcher is not in full equipment. Right. He's just there with a glove. Sometimes it's not even the catcher. It's not even the catcher, yeah. I mean, Brendan Ryan has caught first pitches. So if you're going to throw 80 miles an hour, you want a guy in full gear or you could seriously injure him. Yeah. You definitely definitely have to think about that. I never have until just now, but you definitely have to think about that. No, me, like I said, I'm I'm out there playing catch with a guy who just happens to be in a squat 60 feet away from the mound. That's really how I would approach it. What if someone – I don't know. It's a tough thing because you could really prove something to a lot of people. If you are somehow um, – you need to prove a point. Like you really want to be like, you know what? I threw a bad pitch the first time I did this. I really want to prove something. Then maybe throw it 70 miles then an you hour. Throw that, then you throw that heater you in a there, little heater on there. Maybe my a sinker. My heater is probably about 45 given the state of my shoulder right now. That's why I play first base. But uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I you're not going up there looking for a tryout. You're going up there right. to throw a ceremonial first pitch, and everybody claps, and you take a picture, and yada yada yada. I mean, that's that's what it is. Agreed. Just don't throw the ball into the ground. <sighs> anyway, enough of my negative rambling. Uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the S yes Men. As we leave on the first pitch topic, uh, Doug and I are about forty-five minutes away as we finish taping this from our first live Twitter chat. Of the season. So that should be interesting. I would have spent more time on a promo for this, but I think if you're listening to this, I it's afterwards. It, but I think it's over. Yeah. Hopefully it went well. Hey, we did well. Doug, you did a really nice job on that Twitter chat, which hasn't started yet. So I liked that time that you said, you know, Doug, I think that the when Yankees pitching staff has performed really well, I think that went really well. I think that did not go very well. One of those will be edited out. Yeah. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Uh, so you, Hopefully you joined us on that. Hopefully, you know, after you uh, after you do that, you listen to this. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be in September. Labor Day will be passed. And we'll have a little bit of NFL on tap because it'll be the first week of the NFL season. College football starts this week. We'll see uh, which top 10 ranked teams beat Turnpike Tech 93 to nothing in their opening game. I'm afraid this USC story, by the way, is going to be a big, big deal. Yeah, I didn't even want to get into it just because of the controversy. We're just at the it, beginning. So. Yeah, there's there's no point in, in belaboring it right now until we know more. But we'll have college football, we'll have the NFL, we'll have baseball, and we'll have September. Until next time, if you're listening to us on iTunes, remember to rate and review us. If you're not, if you're listening to us on YesNetwork.com, we appreciate the clicks, but please subscribe on iTunes. As Doug says, it downloads right to your phone when you're sleeping, as long as you have Wi-Fi. It'll come right there. It's creepy like that. Like give you, you some goodness. And it's just there. And, yeah, you know what? You can listen to our entire archive. You, if you have a nine-hour drive to North Carolina for college, you can listen to our entire archive. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of, of an episode. Like, you could listen to us talk about – how great the Yankees lineup will perform when we were doing our, uh, you, our spring training. You can, listen, you can listen to us talk about how the Brooklyn Nets have to prove something. You can this listen year. to us talk about how Hanley Ramirez and David Wright are going to be the NL MVPs this year. Uh, Colton Wong for rookie of the year. <laughs> oh, Adam gosh. Wainwright. Adam Wainwright could win the Cy Young Award. I got an outside chance of that. Uh, I, I picked, was going to win I it. But... A comeback year for Justin Verlander to win Cy Young. Yeah, so. he won't he even... could win. He could throw. Eight straight complete game shutouts, and he wouldn't. He might not win the Cy Young Award if it was restricted to guys named Justin at this point. So it's, uh, you know what? That's why they call them predictions because all you're doing is trying to predict. Might make an interesting uh, podcast listening though if you are on that great 
eight-hour drive down to Elon, North Carolina to go to college. Listen to me talk about things that didn't end up happening. Or a 13-hour drive to Kew Island, South Carolina when you have to find something to listen to in the car. Thank God for satellite radio. Uh, There you go. 13 hours worth of the Yes Men. If you're not sick of us by then, you'll never be sick of us. That's the tagline we can go with for that. Until the next time we give you a chance to be sick of us, though, I'm Lou. He's Doug. We're the Yes Men. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.